I join with you in, in uh, praying for Dave and family. He called me about midnight last night and mentioned that um, this loss is like uh, losing a member of the family. So, uh, And I'm going to say also to Ali, 104, that's just amazing. My mom turns 91 this week, and I can tell her she's just a youngster. So <laughs> it's great. Um, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of John, chapter 1, in this Advent season. It's appropriate text. And so I want to go to John, chapter 1. And as we come to this text, I think it might be on screen. I'd like to uh, invite you to stand as we read the first 13 verses. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who believed and received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Lord, speak to us through this text, we pray, especially in this season, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you think of someone, someone significant, someone powerful, someone influential, someone who should have been recognized and yet no one even noticed, well, you might think of different people throughout history. One that you might recall, at least the story, is Joshua Bell, the American violinist. It was a cold January uh, about 15 years ago. He emerged from the metro at the L'Enfant Plaza station in Washington, D.C. He came out and he positioned himself against a wall besides a trash container next to a busy kiosk that sells papers and porn and lotto tickets. His dress was less than impressive, faded jeans, a long-sleeved t-shirt, and the Washington Nationals baseball cap. And after he settled down and put everything in place, he began to play the violin, performing six classical pieces from Schubert to Bach to others, masterpieces that have endured for centuries, soaring music that befits cathedrals. Meanwhile, that morning, 1,097 people, mostly government bureaucrats, passed by over the next 43 minutes, some on cell phones, others listening to their own music. 
oblivious to the fact that this was not some vagrant, some mere wannabe artist whose stage will never go beyond the streets. This was one of the finest classical musicians in the world, an internationally acclaimed virtuoso, using a violin that uh, is estimated to be worth $3.5 million to play some of the most elegant music ever heard. A few people tossed in some quarters, some dimes, some nickels. It all totaled at the end of the concert about $32. A few stopped momentarily, a three-year-old who stopped to look at the violinist until his mother pushed him along. But the vast majority walked past him without noticing. Without noticing in their midst, there was greatness. There was excellence. Here was someone whose music commands over $1,000 a minute. Now, it turns out this wasn't really Bell's idea. It actually was sort of a collaborative effort, an experiment conducted by the Washington Post that asked this question, in a banal setting, at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend? Would people notice grandeur? Would they suddenly be shocked and amazed if it's not wrapped up in all the trimmings of concert halls and white ties and tails and wealth? Will people see the beauty? Are people even looking for beauty? I love this story because this time of year, it brings me back to this season. What if God is doing something like this right now? What if God is stepping into our ordinary settings, our place of work, our kitchen, our morning routine, in a moment maybe in the middle of a sleepless night? And somewhere in all of this, God is, so to speak, playing his music, expressing something, if we're listening, of his wisdom showing us something if we're looking for his amazing power, revealing perhaps if we're halfway aware of his goodness, his beauty, his glory, his majesty. What if in this moment the one who commands far more than $1,000 a minute, the one who requires that we give him our everything, is about to disrupt our lives and bring a life-changing moment, the question is, will we even know it happened? Will we recognize? Will we discern? I guess what I'm trying to say is, even think about your week, this past week. Could it have been there was some powerful moment God chose to show up? And maybe somehow, for whatever reason, you never noticed. In this text, in John 1, the writer gives the astounding answer to, to the question, will we notice, with the answer, for the most part, not really. 
The one who was before time, he says here in this text, before time and space, before all else, the one who was with God in a face-to-face relationship, the one who, in fact, verse 1 says, was God, the one who, to whom everything was created. Everything owes its existence. The one who, as Colossians 1.17 says, holds everything together, All he has to do is let go. The one who brings, as he says in verse 4, light and life to us. The one who dispels the darkness. The one who enables creation to flourish. He tells us in verse 5, wasn't even comprehended, let alone apprehended. Now, there were exceptions, he tells us, by going to John, verses 6 to 9, who he noticed, he witnessed to the fact, but the world God created didn't get it. Again, I go back to verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. This is John, in effect, saying, isn't it amazing? that the creator stepped into creation and the creation wasn't even aware. Didn't even really care to know him. Now we understand to a certain extent it's the nature of a fallen world to miss God's presence. Perhaps today, like back then, too many were absorbed in themselves their own agendas to even notice, too focused on their careers, too focused on their lists, their anxieties, too interested in their politics. Or maybe people didn't notice because, well, they have their own God, just as many do today, a God that maybe some of us have here who's different, a God on our own terms. A God who fits into our own schedules. A God who we've created to meet our expectations and value our systems, what we think is important, how we would like to design things. A God maybe we sometimes create that we just soon confine into these walls, but God forbid he goes outside these walls and goes with us. Or maybe we miss God's presence because, and I think, Ashley, this is closer to the reason for us today, we're too distracted, preoccupied with our devices, our twerking minds no longer able to give attention to things that matter, like God, Our ability to focus, pay attention, have you noticed, is rapidly sinking. I just began a new book yesterday, Stolen Focus, by Johan Hari, who describes our culture as, quote, attentional pathogenic. I think that fits. Attentional pathogenic. Sustained focus, he is 
and he has researched to write this book. He's traveled all over the world and met with scientists, social scientists, physicians, etc. And he comes to conclude in his book that focus is becoming near impossible. If I was teaching seminary right now, as I have done in preaching courses, I would tell students, you have a huge challenge on your hands because it's going to be increasingly difficult for people to maintain a sustained thought. Are you still with me? <laughs> uh, how is it we miss God? Well, I suppose in our culture we could ask, how is it we miss each other? How is it we miss most things? But then, kind of going back to Joshua Bell, God doesn't always make it easy, does he? He steps into the world himself rather incognito. He didn't step loudly onto a stage in Rome or Jerusalem or Alexandria. But he quietly came into this nondescript setting of a feeding trough in a backwater town called Bethlehem. Grew up in Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? He stooped to be raised by a poor family in a powerless nation, stripped of its national pride, and eventually made his way into wedding parties and desert wells and leprosy camps, into the depths of common humanity, offering words of life, eternal life, doing works, acts that are only befitting of God. But most who encountered Jesus were unaware. John Ashley starts his book this way to, in a sense, give a narrative of all the events where this happened. People unreceptive. He was in our face and we turned our backs. This is John's, did you catch it? Did you catch it? This is John's summary statement in verse 11. He came into that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came into that which was his own. That is, is a word that is sometimes used to speak of property, home, his own people. But they did not receive him. The one who came and took up residence, verse 14, the one who came to flesh out, literally exegete, explain God, verse, four, verse 18, the one who came to love us and pay the price for our failures by going to the cross, John 19, 18, wasn't recognized, wasn't comprehended. Even in his own town, his own hometown, people were oblivious. Isn't this, uh, hey, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? You start to read through John and you notice that Right away, John chapter 2, at the wedding feast in Cana. No one noticed. No one noticed who made the wine. Religious experts in John 3, like Nicodemus, didn't realize he was talking to the Messiah. The woman at the well in John 4, she wasn't quite sure. The paralytic who was healed in an amazing way never really got it. Instead, he threw Jesus under the bus. The crowd 
was miraculously fed in Galilee, but all they wanted was a meal ticket. They didn't really know who he was. Even his brothers, John chapter 7, didn't recognize him, or worshipers at the feast in John 8, or religious leaders like Pilate, or world leaders. I should say world leaders like Pilate. And at times, even his disciples. You remember in the upper room, have I been with you so long and you don't, you don't realize who you're talking to? They didn't recognize, they didn't realize, they didn't comprehend when Jesus stepped into their worlds. Though, here's the irony, right? There were some who did, who did notice. I think the great irony in the book of John is the one who recognized who it was was the blind man. And the prostitutes, and the tax collectors, and the lepers. Amidst the ordinary, they discerned the extraordinary. They saw the grandeur of God. They heard his music. They, they heard the sound of grace. They heard his invitation to turn from their ways. They saw redemption. They saw the potential. They could be somebody else and not a failure. They saw. But the ones who prided themselves on having it together, the elite, not the hoi polloi, they never got it. They never saw. It leads, therefore, to the question this morning, which is kind of where all of this is going, is, have you noticed? Have you noticed him? Sometimes when God steps into our worlds, yes, he steps incognito. I've discovered, at least in my journey, that God seems to like to work undercover. He likes to leave anonymous notes. He sneaks up when I'm not looking. And sometimes in a mysterious way, he seems to sort of hide when I'm in pursuit. When I look back at moments when God's presence was most real, I started thinking through, what were those moments? I think of a, when I was 18, I was working in a nondescript ice cream shop one night, this man walked in, and he leaned over the counter, and he said, you should go into the ministry. <laughs> I was going to the Air Force Academy. <laughs> and then he walked out and drove away. I was writing about it this week in a chapter I'm writing and remembering, I saw God. Because everything changed after that. I remember one morning as I began to pastor, and I began to feel like my life was going nowhere. And uh, I was walking this morning, as I did in my neighborhood. I can still remember the corner 
I was meditating on Proverbs 23. It was the 23rd day of the month, and I came to verse 18. Surely, surely there's a future, and your hope won't be cut off. And in that moment, God met me and said, you don't have to worry about your future. Or an afternoon in the dunes when I was a pastor in Holland, when I was just doing my, my long walks where I processed lots of things, where God did a lot of healing in my life, and I came to a passage in Timothy, and God, and all I can say is those words came off the page in a mysterious way and forced me to do one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Or maybe what I especially remember was going to Nigeria. We'd driven all day to see some sites that really never materialized. I was just tired. I was filthy. It was the roads were all dusty and but I had to speak that night to a group of college students in Jos, Nigeria. And here was the chapel. It was just, wasn't anything like this. It was just this dilapidated old building, kind of small. And here were these students. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, God, do I have to do this? I just want to get in bed. And all I can tell you is I opened the text to 2 Samuel 7, and I began to speak, and God showed up. Uh, and I have a picture still in my study to remind me uh, of that. Uh, it seems to be God's mode of operation to show up when we least expect him to. As he did to Mary, in John 20, she's, where's Jesus? And she runs into who she believes is the gardener, who turns out to be Jesus. Or like those that were journeying on the road to Emmaus, remember them? And suddenly this stranger is walking along and talking to them. And they thought he was a common traveler until... His words left their hearts on fire, and then he disappeared. It just seems to be the way God does it. We might find him in these walls, and we should. This is the church, and we should anticipate. We should come, Ashley. We should plead, Ashley, that when we come here, God, show up. Show me. Speak to me. Because that is his promise where two or three are gathered, what? In? You still with me? Who are gathered in my name, what? There I am in their midst. He's here. Can we see him? Can we feel him? Can we sense him? Are we hearing what he might be saying? This is Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek him, he will be found. And maybe the point is, maybe if we're sitting here going, well, 
I'm glad you've had some nice experiences. I would like to have some, but maybe part of it is this, not that I'm any more spiritual, but what I have learned through life is that God seems to reveal himself to those who seek him. Uh, God doesn't seem to show up where people want to multitask with God. God seems to show up when we put everything else away and everything aside and turn off our phones and turn off our, all of our devices and lay ourselves before God and say, God, speak. Let me ask you, it's a penetrating question in this day and age. When's the last time you turned everything off? Everything. Just to say, God, speak. More often than not, we discover he's actually loves to be found in the ordinary, hanging out near cubicles and coffee shops and hospital beds, refugee camps in the Beka, maybe gatherings like the Jesus table on Tuesdays or the road to hope. In fact, this is what he said in Matthew 25, wherever there's hunger and loneliness and sickness, there I am, showing something of his justice and grace and power, indicating he's more at home in a kiosk than in a concert hall. It's not that God is conducting an experiment like the Washington Post, or is he? Could it be he is asking, when I show up, will you notice? When I speak, will you hear? When I do something in your life, will you realize it was me who did it? Are you aware of my presence? But as this passage ends in John 1, the most important question is, not have you noticed, but have you received me? Because to those who do seek and receive, he comes and makes his home. And that's our greatest hope. Lord in heaven, thank you. for being this God who continues to reveal himself. Forgive us, Lord, for being so caught up in ourselves and our distractions that we so often miss you. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that's never met you, Lord, may they realize that the promise is there to simply open the heart and you are there to come in. God, fix our minds and our hearts in these days, in this, these busy days. May we come back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.